December 31st, 1999. An 8-bit spaceship flies against the background of pixelated stars. Space. It seems to go on and on forever. But then you get to the end and a gorilla starts throwing barrels at you. There is, indeed, a gorilla in purple overall standing atop a yellow and orange planet. The spaceship starts firing at it. The gorilla tosses a video game representation of a barrel that hits the ship, causing it to explode into a cloud of expanding yellow dots. Game over. And that's how you play the game! You stink, loser! Hey, Fry, pizza going out! Fry, a young man with ginger hair, turns from the arcade game he'd been playing to see his boss, Mr. Panucci, with a pizza box. The image on it proudly proclaiming, Do not tip delivery boy! It's 11.36 and time for Fry to work. Come on! <sighs> Outside, he puts the pizza and a six-pack of beer on the front rack of his delivery bicycle. He pedals past merrymakers of all sorts who are celebrating the end of the year. Coming out of an alley, he stops when a cab blocks his way. A cab with a very familiar passenger. Another very unfamiliar passenger has his arm around her. Michelle! Baby, where are you going? It's not working out, Fry. I put your stuff on the sidewalk. The taxi takes off and Fry resumes his sad journey. Oh, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. Arriving at the building he's delivering the pizza to, he locks his bike to a newspaper dispenser. The New York Post within declares, 2000! Doomsayers cautiously upbeat! As soon as Fry is through the glass doors into the skyscraper's foyer, a man runs up, cuts the chain securing the bike, and rides off. Happy New Year! On the 64th floor, he walks over to a door marked Applied Cryogenics. No pallier failures since 1997. He knocks, then enters the high-tech laboratory within. Several tubes are along a concave wall. Tubes 41 through 47 are occupied. Tube 40 stands open and empty. Hello? Pizza delivery for... He checks the handwritten note. I see Wiener? Ugh, crud. I always thought by this point in my life, I'd be the one making the crank calls. Defeated by life, Pry drops the pizza on a desk, takes a chair, and cracks open one of the beers. Here's to another lousy millennium. All over the world, despite it being different time zones, people start counting down the last 10 seconds of 1999. Tilting back in his chair and well relaxed by the beer, Fry blows out through a noisemaker. When the paper curls back up, it hits him in the nose and knocks him off balance. He falls back into the open tube number 40, which slams shut. A dial spins and a readout displays 1,000 years. What? Fry and what's left of his beer are flash frozen perfectly preserved in cryogenic stasis. Time passes for the outside world, but not for Philip J. Fry. New York is destroyed around him by an alien invasion. A forest retakes the island of Manhattan. Medieval-style buildings are erected, only to be destroyed by another alien invasion. 
The future arrives as new artistic buildings dominate the skyline from the 64th floor of the ancient building that still stands. The time on 2.40 counts down. Two. One. Ding! And the tube opens. <sighs> still clutching the beer can, he takes several steps before noticing the radically different view through the laboratory's window. He's reasonably sure there weren't so many flying cars in 1999. Or any, for that matter. My god! It's the future! My parents, my co-workers, my girlfriend. I'll never see any of them again. Yahoo! The Unpracticed Disorganized Acting Company presents Futurama Space Pilot 3000 by Matt Gernig and David X. Cohen. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Why do you always have to say it that way? Lights snap on, revealing to Fry the two lab workers who <clears> just <throat> entered the room. Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? Come, your destiny awaits. The two men escort Fry to a drab gray door labeled Fate Assignment Officer. Have a nice future. Cool! Just like in Star Trek. Oh! Through the door is what Fry considers an attractive female form with his back to him, shapely with purple hair and a high ponytail. Good afternoon, sir. Mm-hmm. She turns, and he sees that she is a cyclops. Oh. Name? Uh, Fry. I'm Leela. Now, it's New Year's Eve, so I'd like to decide your fate quickly and get out of here. Can I ask you a question? As long as it's not about my eye. Uh. Is it about my eye? Sort of. <sighs> Just ask the question. What's with the eye? I'm an alien, all right? Let's drop the subject. Cool. An alien. Has your race taken over the Earth? No, I just work here. A dirigible glides slowly by the window. Its reader board declares, Happy New Year 3000. Wait a minute. Is that blimp accurate? Yep. It's December 31st, 2999. My God. A million years. I'm sure this must be very upsetting for you. You know, I guess it should be, but actually I'm glad. I had nothing to live for in my old life. I was broke, I had a humiliating job, and I was beginning to suspect my girlfriend might be cheating on me. Well, at least you'll be treated with dignity. Now, strip naked and get on the probulator. After being probulated, Fry starts to put his clothes back on. The system provides Leela with a dot matrix printout regarding her client. Interesting. Your DNA test shows one living relative. He's your great, 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 great nephew. Oh, that's great. What's the little guy's name? Professor Hubert Farnsworth. You know, I'm the luckiest guy in the whole future. I've been given a second chance, and this time I'm not going to be a total loser. What's that? Your permanent career assignment. Delivery boy? No, not again. Please, anything else. 
Take your hands off me. You've been assigned a job you're the best at, just like everyone else. What if I refuse? Then you'll be fired. Fine. Out of a cannon into the sun. Oh, but I don't like being a delivery boy. Well, that's tough. Lots of people don't like their jobs, but we do them anyway. You got to do what you got to do. Now hold out your hand. I'm going to implant your career chip. It'll permanently label you as a delivery boy. Keep that thing away from me! Desperate, but with no idea where he's going, Fry bolts from the room. Leela pursues her very, very, very reluctant client. He finds himself back in the cryo lab, and Tube 40 is open and waiting. Hold still, dammit! I don't have good death reception. She lunges, and Fry jumps to the side. Tube 40 again slams closed and sells itself for 1,000 years, but this time it is Leela inside. You've got me the count of five to let me out of here. One. She's flash frozen. See you in a thousand years. Fry chuckles and walks to the door, but then he looks back and sighs. His conscience is getting the better of him, so he recess the tube to open in five minutes. You owe me one. He makes his way out of the building and is nearly overwhelmed by the culture shock of being a man out of his own time. Whoa. Traveling through a city that is completely alien to him, he sees flying vehicles. People using personal flight gear also travel freely through the sky. In the sky, but not free, are beings who are whisked through clear pneumatic tubes. At ground level, there are pedestrians, but in clothes and of a species that Fry has never even remotely imagined. Vehicles at ground level still aren't actually touching the ground, but hover a few inches over it. One man steps into the terminus of a pneumatic tube at ground level. JFK, Junior Airport. With a whoosh, he is gone from sight. Cool. Fry steps into the tube. Uh, Crosstown Express? And with another whoosh, Fry is flying through the city's tube system at speeds he's never traveled before. He screams in terror, but it quickly turns to joy as he learns that the experience is safe and pleasurable. After a lengthy travel through this future New York, including a section of tube that took him underwater to see sights hitherto unimagined, he shot out into an older section of the city and resumes his walking. A short line of people is waiting to enter a vertical gray box with a folding door in front. Fry unfolds the printout that he'd taken from Leela. Hey. A phone booth. I can call my nephew. A metal man joins the line behind Fry and starts impatiently tapping his foot. Whoa! A real-life robot! Or is that some kind of cheesy New Year's costume? I ate my shiny metal ass. It doesn't look so shiny to me. Shinier than yours, meatbag. <laughs> the line moves forward and Fry is next. What he can't see from his position outside the door is the sign on the side of the box. Suicide booth, 25 cents. Fry whistles a jaunty tune as he waits his turn. He doesn't notice a flash of light from around the booth's door right before it opens for him. Stepping inside, there's a panel with a coin slot and a start button over it. He's frustrated when pushing the button repeatedly. Only results in a buzzing each time, but nothing else. Listen, buddy, I'm in a hurry here. Let's try for a twofer. The robot drops a coin into the slot, a coin tied to a string, 
the other end of which is tied to one of his fingers. After the sound of the coin being accepted, he yanks the string and the coin snaps back into his palm. His chuckle is a little maniacal. Please select mode of death, quick and painless, or slow and horrible. Uh, yeah, I'd like to place a collect call. You have selected slow and horrible. Great choice. The panel slides open, and a variety of saws and drills extend towards the two occupants. Bring it on, baby! Ah! Come on, come on, kill me already! By the way, my name's Bender. Help! What's happening? The panicky human flattens himself and the robot against the side of the booth as much as possible, while the instruments of death flail about where someone who would want to die should be standing. The various gizmos return to their storage position after a few seconds. You are now dead. Thank you for using Stop and Drop, America's favorite suicide booth since 2008. The accordion door to the booth reopens and Fry bursts out, gasping for what passes for fresh air. Lousy, stinking ripoff. Well, I didn't have anything else planned for today. Let's go get drunk. Back at Applied Cryogenics, Lila's five minutes are up and 240 pops <clears throat> back open. Two, three, hey! Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Shut up, Terry. In short order, Leela is standing at parade rest across the desk from her boss. This is unacceptable, Leela. You must find Mr. Fry and install his chip. Look, he's just a nobody who doesn't want to be a delivery boy. I'd really rather not force it on him. Well, that's your job whether you like it or not, and it's my job to make sure you do your job whether I like it or not, which I do very much. Now get to work. <sighs> Life is good. Bender has taken Fry to Ozorganics' pub. Fry has a can while Bender is served a much larger bottle of malt liquor. Judging by his slur, this probably isn't Bender's first bottle since their arrival. Why would a robot need to drink? I don't need to drink. I can quit anytime I want. He literally belches fire. So there. So they made you a delivery boy, huh? Man, that's as bad as my job. Really? What do you do, Bender? I'm a bender. I bend girders. That's all I'm programmed to do. You any good at it? You kidding? I was a stud. I could bend a girder to any angle. 30 degrees, 32 degrees, you name it. 30 what? But I couldn't go on living once I found out what the girders were for. What? Suicide booze. Well, Fright, it was a pleasure meeting you. I'm gonna go kill myself. Wait. You're the only friend I have. You really want a robot for a friend? Yeah, ever since I was six. Well, okay. But I don't want people thinking we're robosexuals, so if anyone asks, you're my debugger. Fry sees that Leela is outside the pub. She's showing a photo of him to passersby. Oh no, it's the Cyclops. Don't look, don't look! I'm not looking. Bender is, of course, looking. His optical units extend. Outside, someone directs Leela to look inside. Fry and Bender bolt towards the back of the pub. This is Officer 1BDI requesting backup. We'll be there in five minutes, says the human police officer standing right behind her. Fry and Bender are running as fast as an out-of-shape human and a drunk robot can. Bender points up some stone steps at a museum.
We can hide in here. It's free on Tuesdays. The Fugitive Twosome, well, the Fugitive Man and his robotic accomplice, rush inside and through several doors, stopping and dropping to sit on the floor behind a display case. Welcome to the Head Museum. I'm Leonard Nimoy. Sure enough, sitting on a pedestal is a clear cylinder with a gray base. A bronze label on the base says, Leonard Nimoy. Within the cylinder is the living head of Nimoy, surrounded by a bluish liquid. Now that they aren't running for their lives, Fry and Bender can see that all of the shelves are lined with living heads in similar cylinders. Spock? Oh, hey. Hey, do the thing. Fry lifts his hand in an approximation of the Vulcan salute. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. This is unbelievable! What do you heads do all day? We share our wisdom with those who seek it. It's a life of quiet dignity. Feeding time! A museum employee drops some flakes into Nimoy's cylinder. He grabs them with his lips to eat them, rather like a goldfish. While he's busy with that, Leela and the two police officers burst through the doors of the room. She starts scooping the room with her giant eye. Bender and Fry are standing behind a display, their heads aligned between cylinders containing Dennis Rodman and Matt Gronig. Their deception completely fails. I'm sorry, Fry, but I have to install your career chip. Yeah, well, if you're so sorry, then why are you doing it? It's my job. You gotta do what you gotta do. She closes in on him as he backs towards a wall of stored heads with the impressive sign, U.S. President, do not tap on glass. Fry whimpers just before his clumsy retreat upsets the display. Watch it! The head of Tricky Dick himself, Richard Dixon, has fallen to the floor. While his cylinder has shattered and the base is cockeyed against the wall, the head itself is upright and not at all pleased. That's it. You've just made my list. Fry leans down to examine the spectacle. Defying any logic, the head manages to lunge forward and Nixon bites into Fry's arm with the tenacity of a wrongly trained pit bull. Ow! Oh! Ow! Ow! Oh! Stop it! Down boy! Bad president! All right, buddy, step away from the head. Bender and Fry both raise their hands and surrender, but Nixon is still clamped onto Fry's arm and growling. I'm gonna get 24th century on his ass. Both officers draw what surely can't be lightsabers due to intellectual property rights and then advance. Nixon drops to the floor and watches peacefully as the cops beat Fry on the head with the pommels of their not lightsabers. Please, officers, there's no need to use force. Let us handle this, weirdy. The robot cop turns and starts beating Bender in the head. The human officer continues to assault Fry, who has gone into a fetal position for its relative safety. Oh, come on. He's just a poor kid from the stupid ages. Keep your big nose out of this, eyeball. No one makes fun of my nose. A roundhouse kick sends the creep sliding across the floor. While she engages his robot partner in combat, Fry and Bender escape into the Hall of Criminals. The robot cop joins his partner on the floor. Damn. You guys were totally out of control. That's our job. We're peace officers. Yeah, you know the law. You gotta do what you gotta do. 
In the Hall of Criminals, Bender slams a red button that locks the doors. He then realizes their mistake. Oh, we're trapped. Fry is trying to pry apart the metal bars set in concrete that block a window space at the other end of the room. He's not even remotely strong enough and grunts with the effort. Mm. Oh, hey, wait a second. You're a bender, right? We can get out of here if you just bend these bars. Dream on, skin tube. I'm only programmed to bend for constructive purposes. What do I look like? A D-bender? Who cares what you're programmed for? If someone programmed you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? I'll have to check my program. Yep. Open up! Come on, Bender. It's up to you to make your own decisions in life. That's what separates people and robots from animals and animal robots. You're full of crap, Fry. Bender turns away, but then a scrambling shot goes through his body. He turns back and... You make a persuasive argument, Fry. Now Bender groans a bit as he grasps a bar in each of his metal hands. Come on, Bender. You can do it. Can't. I can't do it. Then, with a groan of overtaxed metal, the two bars bend enough that they pull easily out of the concrete. Bender and Fry nervously laugh with relief. You were right, Fry. From now on, I'm going to bend what I want, when I want, who I want. I am unstoppable. And his arms promptly fall off. Ah. By remote control, Bender commands his arms to reattach themselves, just in time for Leela to break through the double doors. Yeah! The guys make their escape into an alley through the hole Bender had made. He pauses to bend two of the remaining bars just enough to block Leela's pursuit. Wait! No thanks! Their luck being what it is, Fry and Bender find themselves in a dead end, but one with a grate set into the pavement. Looks like one of us will have to bend this grate. Fry reaches down and swings the grate up. It was on a hinge. Ah. Fry descends through the hole. Bender follows, pausing only enough to bend the bars of the grate anyway. The latter is a long, long descent and ends at a platform looking out over something Fry can't quite comprehend. Good lord, what is this? It's the decaying ruins of old New York. Welcome home, pal. They make their way down to street level and start walking down a road. It's my old neighborhood. Man, this brings back a lot of memories. Keep them to yourself, Pops. This is where I brought my girlfriend on our very first date. My God, she's gone. Everyone I ever knew or cared about is gone. Wait, there's someone you know. Oh, can't you leave me alone? I'm miserable enough already. Look, I know it's not much consolation, but I understand how you feel. No, you don't. I've got no home, no family. No friends. My whole world is gone. You can't possibly understand what it feels like to be so alone. I understand. I'm the only one-eyed alien on this whole planet. My parents abandoned me here as a baby, and I don't even know what galaxy they were from. I know how it feels to be alone. Look, Leela, I don't understand this world, but you obviously do. So I give up. If you really think I should be a delivery boy, I'll do it. Instead of adding a chip to Fry's hand, she removes the one from her own. Your chip? What are you doing? Quitting. 
Why? Because I've always wanted to. I just never realized it until I met you. She reaches out and places her hand on one of his. A couple of seconds later, Bender adds a hand. What is the matter with you? I just wanted to be part of the moment. Hey, you stole my ring. Sorry. Well, that solves the mystery of the missing ring. This calls for a drink. He opens his torso, extracts three bottles, and proceeds to simultaneously pour the contents of all three into his mouth. I don't want to spoil the party, but we're all job deserters now. We're unemployed, and we have nowhere to go. Correction. We're unemployed, but we have a doddering old relative to mooch off of. Professor Hubert Farnsworth is asleep in his chair, snoring loudly. The TV is on. Hello, I'm Dick Clark's head. Welcome to a special year 3000 edition of New Year's Rockin' Eve. Huh? Who are you? I'm your dear old Uncle Fry. I don't have an Uncle Fry. You do now. Inside, Farnsworth and Fry sit in opposing chairs, each with a finger stuck into a machine between them. By God, I am your nephew. This is absolutely incredible. Give me some money. Oh my no. Let me show you around. That's my lab table, and this is my workstool. And over there is my intergalactic spaceship. And here is where I keep assorted lengths of wire. Whoa! A real-life spaceship! I designed it myself. Let me show you some of the different lengths of wire I used. Attention, job deserters! Come out with your hands up! We have you partially surrounded! No! no! Outside, Smitty and Earl have been joined by two more peace officers. Smitty is holding a jar with Nixon's head in it. Get those bums! Well... We're boned. Can't we get away in the ship? I suppose it is technically possible, though I am already in my pajamas. The quartet rush into the ship, Bender carrying the aged professor under one arm. I'll get us out of here. The buttons he presses provide him with a cup of coffee instead of starting the ship. Can anyone drive stick? I can, as long as I don't have to parallel park. The roof of Professor Farnsworth's home opens, and the platform holding the ship tilts its bow upwards. Around the building, police cannons are being positioned to open fire. If they try to take off, give them an ass full of laser. Prepare for liftoff. Ten. Again, all over Earth, another countdown to a new year has begun. Nine. 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 Four, three, two, one, blast off! The rocket, well, rockets upwards. One more streak of light among the airborne fireworks. The peace officers can't track which bit of light is their quarry. Fire! Fire! I can't see nothing. Pretty, though. The near misses from the ground artillery and the celebratory explosions are making for a bumpy ride. Uh, what? Hey! Hey! Whoa! The ship goes beyond the range of both fireworks and police lasers out into open space. Yeah! Sometime later, Fry speaks to the only relative he has. So, 
I guess without jobs, we'll be fugitives forever. Not necessarily. Are you three by any chance interested in becoming my new spaceship crew? New crew? What happened to the old crew? Oh, those poor sons of- But that's not important. The important thing is, I need a new crew. Anyone interested? Yes! Yes! That's exactly the job I've always wanted! Thanks for the offer, Professor, but we don't have the proper career chips. Oh, that won't be a problem. As luck would have it, I saved the chips for my previous crew. This is awesome! Are we going to fly through space fighting monsters and teaching alien women to love? If by that you mean transporting cargo, then yes. It's a little home business I started to fund my research. Cool. What's my job going to be? You'll be responsible for ensuring that the cargo reaches its destination. So, I'm going to be a delivery boy? Exactly. All right, I'm a delivery boy. The Unpracticed Disorganized Acting Company podcast is a Podcastcadia production. Copyright 2021, Jeff Pallier. This episode was recorded the 14th of March, 2021. Futurama Space Pilot 3000 was written by Matt Gronick and David X. Cohen and originally aired 28 March 1999. The story was adapted for audio by Jeff Pallier. Futurama and all related elements are the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company. Weird, huh? The Unpracticed Disorganizing Acting Company performs for the enjoyment of it and is not profiting in money, goods, or services from this presentation. Our theme music is Android Sock Hop by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Some sound effects from Zapsplat.com and from Freesound.org. To learn more about the Unpracticed Disorganized Acting Company, look for us on Facebook and on our website, PodcastCadia.com. There you can learn about upcoming projects and how you can also participate.